Hello and welcome to Bionic Chronicles podcast. Today, Isabel Schwartz and I are going to be discussing her advocacy against human trafficking. So my name is Isabel Schwartz. I'm from Augusta, Georgia. I'm 18 years old. I met this incredible host, Kinsey, at the Hurleyed Fellowship last summer in New York City. And basically my work has really evolved as I started it. I started around 13 and it really has grown. So basically, I tour with an original presentation series that is completely, completely education-based. So I have statistics, I have personal experiences that I've gathered, I have stories and peer involvements that I all have joined together to create this presentation that not only identifies what sex trafficking is, but what it looks like in the United States, in my own community of Georgia, um, Augusta, Georgia, all the cities in Georgia, and also what makes everyone vulnerable to it, how it is not this like totally, totally altered version we've created in culture today where it looks almost to a lot of people like this is consensual or like it's some sort of form of a sugar daddy, sugar baby relationship. And I try to really really fill in the gaps and and educate on how it is totally not that. There is no consent. It is completely just mental manipulation and abuse that keeps people in the system. And then I really have an emphasis on the culture aspect, which I talked about just then, and how we all need to be accountable for the type of culture we perpetrate and how that leaves victims of sex trafficking in the dark a lot of times. Um, And also how social media has really changed the trade as a whole. So, you know, decades ago, social media still existed. It was just more out in the open on the streets. And now it's like you have to search for it in the corners of the Internet. You have to you have to be savvy on all the apps. You have to know how to work your way online. And so it makes it that much harder to catch. And it also makes it that much harder for victims to get out. So I really talk about not only like sex trafficking, but how we have just totally given it the wings to fly by introducing it in this digital world. And so right now I'm yeah. I'm doing presentations and I'm working with my state's Department of Education to mandate that this, this message essentially is included in Georgia public high schools and middle schools. So that's kind of what I'm doing right now. And then I just started a nonprofit called Traffic Talk um, that is dedicated to this, yes. Yes, and your work is so important because it affects so many communities. Can you talk a little bit about the statistics of human trafficking? Absolutely. So I talked about a little earlier how there's a lot of misconceptions about sex trafficking. So unfortunately, it has become a little bit of a political divide where we all agree that it's terrible, but certain people certain people like to ignore it and try to make it some kind of developing country issue or not really America's problem. Um, It is enormous in the United States. So worldwide, human trafficking, um, and there are two branches of human trafficking. There's labor trafficking and sex trafficking. I focus a lot more on sex trafficking, like I've said, but um, worldwide, human trafficking makes around like $32 billion a year. And about half of that comes from industrialized countries like the United States. So that is absolutely crazy. Yes, it is enormous. And so like in my in my home state of Georgia, we actually have the largest sex economy in the United States and it's Atlanta, Georgia, and it makes around 239 million dollars each year from sex trafficking. And so it really that it, is it's insane. Yeah. And it's so like it's so underground that those numbers I'm saying like those this much money, this much money, it, it is probably so much more than that because that's just what we have the data to support. Also, I would like to correct myself. It is not 239 million. Atlanta brings in 290 million alone from sex. That is unfathomable. That is so crazy because I mean, that's only the data that they can collect. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So it's really like as huge as those numbers are, I always have to like remind myself as well as the people I'm talking to that that is probably a 
a comparatively smaller sum than what is the reality. Yeah, and I would just like to add that I feel like we always hear in the news about said billionaire is involved in these manipulative systems. And, you know, they always denounce the allegations, but what do you know about the truth behind this? Right, absolutely. So I am so thankful that that is starting to come to light. Um, When I first started presenting a few years ago, there were not these like big billionaire personas that were kind of pushing this issue to the head. It was a little more, a little more hush hush, but you know, unfortunately, like especially in America, we have a fascination with the rich. So when, when these just have money to burn larger than life personalities are proven to be linked to these awful, awful crimes such as sex trafficking, that's how it gets news time, essentially. So with Jeffrey Epstein, um, you know, he had the Harvard grad going on, he had the hanging out with presidents going on, and then he had all that money. And that really, I think, resonated with American people because, you know, we're taught from a very young age that we should respect people like him because of his accomplishments. And so when we have those people exposed for being so, so deeply enveloped in a crime like this that we know is so fundamentally wrong, it kind Mm -hmm. of puts us in check. It kind of reminds us like, okay, we need to remind ourselves that money is not moral. Like we have to, we have to differentiate between success in an economic term and success in a responsible citizen term. So Jeffrey Epstein was a prime, prime example of a billionaire who was linked to this. We also had, um, a, I think, yes, last year, last year's Super Bowl, not this one that just happened. Um, it was actually held in Atlanta, which, um, you know, I mentioned earlier was the largest sex economy in the United States. And the Super Bowl is the largest sex trafficked event in the United States. So it was just massive, massive um, moving backward and forward of victims and buyers just spending money like crazy for whatever the traffickers would provide. So actually the owner of the Patriots football team who was playing that year, um, he, after the Super Bowl, was proven to be linked with a um, spa in Florida that they what they found was housing victims of human trafficking and was keeping them there for exploitation purposes. So he was caught visiting that spa, leaving that spa um, where victims were forced to stay there, forced to provide sexual acts for their only male visitors. And I'm not sure where those victims are now, but I do know that he's been linked to that. So really, as this issue moves forward, we keep seeing these prominent figures essentially being caught in, in being associated with the crime. But it is not only the ultra, ultra rich. So I talk about in my presentations, I go through sort of the different profiles of people involved. So I talk about the victims, the traffickers, and I talk about the buyers. So buyers most, most frequently do have a disposable income. They don't have to be billionaires, but they usually have some sort of money that they can spare without it being detrimental to themselves because they then have that option to pay for a victim. Yeah, I think that's a big misconception. I think a lot of people assume that the buyers in these trades are all from obscure countries that we've never heard about when really it is in our backyard. Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that because I mentioned earlier, you know, a lot of people like to push this off as another country's problem, but it really gets down to Americans, like our role in it. And I've had, I actually had um, someone say to me one time, well, the wall would stop sex trafficking. And yes, there are cases, there are cases of, of people crossing the border illegally and sex trafficking people through that afterwards reaching the country. But that is 
by no means the majority. The majority that I see is Americans trafficking Americans. And if even if we did live in a society where it was only people from other countries who were being trafficked and who were trafficking other people, it wouldn't exist in America if Americans weren't paying for it. So absolutely, it is not the reality that this is some other nationality, other countries' influence on American society, because everyday Americans, everyday Georgians, um, people all over the country and all over the world are driving the survival of sex trafficking because they are continually proving that it is desirable. I mean, if you are the person who is willing to make that payment, willing to arrange to meet a victim, you yourself are driving it and you cannot put that off on someone else or or some other country. So really, it is 100% a domestic problem just as much as an international problem. And that's why it's so important to look within ourselves and look within our neighbors to know that we're each doing our part in stopping it. Yeah, I think a lot of people think that this problem is only perpetuated by other countries when it is our problem. So what are signs of sex trafficking and things that people can start to look out for? Absolutely. So um, actually, I guess I'll start with kind of things to look out for if you suspect that you are seeing someone who's being trafficked or you may know someone who's at risk of being trafficked. Um, So with victims particularly, because they're going to be the easiest to notice signs from traffickers and buyers are likely going to have taken measures to sort of make themselves anonymous and the least able to detect because they are extremely, extremely skilled and have done this many times. Um, But with victims, what we see most commonly is they have signs of physical abuse. So you can see on their body burns, cuts, scrapes, anything like that, because a lot of times they are physically abused, especially if they put up any sort of resistance to their trafficker or try to escape, or it could come from a buyer. We also have truancy truancy or falling asleep in class. So most victims actually in the United States, they're around 12 to 14 years old when they enter the sex trade. But most... Oh, wow. I did not know that. They are super, super young. Oh, my. Those numbers are dropping. So the average right now that we have data to support is 12 to 14 years old. But what we're seeing... Those are young, impressionable children. So young, so vulnerable. And they are being completely dominated by adults um, who they, in most cases, originally trusted. So, But what we're seeing in most recent cases, because stuff like this is always coming out, being updated, whether it's smaller cases or nationwide cases, we're seeing victims range from 2 to 17 years old when they enter the trade. And actually, there was a nationwide bust a few years ago where the youngest victim rescued was less than a year old. And so really, it gets down once again to what society wants and whatever whatever is desirable or wanted that's going to be provided so I talk a lot about traffickers and buyers in my presentation in addition to victims and I really pay I really pay close attention to and I try to emphasize yes traffickers are terrible yes they are 100% perpetrators of this cycle but the key profile in sex trafficking survival is the buyer because they are the ones who are dictating what is and what is not okay and what they will and will not pay for. And according to those two criteria, that's what traffickers are going to be providing and that's who's going to be abused. So the fact that these two, four, five, ten-year-olds are being exploited regularly by men because 99% of buyers are men that is totally reflective on what the society has decided they want, and that's what they're willing to pay for. Um, so those those brackets, most people who fall in that age range who are being victimized um, from 2 to 17 years old or 12 to 14 years old, depending on which statistic you want to go with, 
um, most people within that bracket are school-aged children. So when they're being exploited, they're going to miss some school. They're going to be falling asleep in class because it's likely they were sold the entire night before. Um, and then some more signs is dressed inappropriately, depressed, distracted, or withdrawn, um, has an older boyfriend, boasts of having or making a lot of money, has poor relationships, unstable home life. These are all things that either are taken advantage of by a trafficker that they will try and lean them away from, distract them with glamorous items from, or are going to be the consequences of being trapped in this traumatic cycle and trying to process it on their own. Um, and then the one last thing I would say is maybe one of the most important things to look out for with a potential victim is tattoos can be a big clue. Um, sometimes traffickers, they will tattoo their victims with either a barcode or a man's name. And that is sort of like an ownership thing. So I always give this analogy where when you were a little kid and you would write your name on toys or you would write your name in a lunchbox or a folder or anything like that, your mentality behind that was, okay, if this gets lost, I'll very easily be able to claim it as mine because my name's on it. So when traffickers brand their victims, essentially, the mentality behind that is the same. It's if that girl gets away, if that boy gets away, because this is affecting both boy and girls in terms of victims, um, or if they try to escape, if somebody takes them from me, very, very easily they can point out their name or the barcode and say, look, that's my girl, that's my boy. That is so terrible. So how long do these children stay in these systems on average? So that is a very interesting question. Um, it, it depends. It really ranges so widely. Unfortunately, there are a large percentage of victims that do not make it out because the life is so rough and it is so underground that there are times where a victim could die in the process or, or just sort of disappears. Um, but there are a lot of success stories where victims are rescued by law enforcement or citizens intervene and successfully connect them to the resources they need or their traffickers arrested and they're separated from their abusers. Um, so in the case of that, victims are usually taken away as far as possible from their place of abuse or who was abusing them. So the trafficker, the city they were in, um, because likely traffickers have nets that expand much farther than that particular mile radius. So as far away as possible to increase mm -hmm. the odds that they are away from any influence. That is so awful. And the fact that that's a reality for so many kids. And I guess I'm a little bit confused. Can you explain a little bit about like how these children are still attending school and how that works within the system? Sure, of course. Um, so there are two. It starts a little, um, I have to go a little bit backwards for this explanation because it is so like intertwining complex of, of the series of events that, that just explain the patterns. Um, but basically, in, in sex trafficking, there are two types of traffickers. And they're most commonly known as pimps, but I tried to sparingly use that term because, I mean, you do not have to put in hardly any effort before you find a song or a prominent media figure that uses the word pimp irresponsibly. They sort of use it as like a synonym for cool or a symbol of wealth. And that is completely yeah. unfair to victims. It changes the narrative against them. Um, so... Basically, there are two types of traffickers or pimps, and because they're the same person, just different terminology, and they are called the Romeo pimp or the gorilla pimp. So the gorilla pimp is, like it sounds, they are very violent, very forceful, and in those cases, victims are typically kidnapped or removed from their situation. Um, so they would not be going to school, they would not have contact with family members and friends, or if they are remaining in school, remaining in their homes, it is very, very restricted, very, very isolated relationships and environments going on there. But most frequently, and what I study 
most with social media because these, these are the ones that are prominent on social media are the Romeo pimps. And I believe they're the most misunderstood because on the surface, it looks like a consensual relationship, but it is totally, totally not. It is 100% based on mental manipulation and, and guilt and a system of owing and worthlessness that is completely embedded within the victim from this person's influence. So the Romeo pimp is basically someone who introduces himself or herself, traffickers can be male or female, although they are most frequently male, um, introduces themselves as sort of the perfect person to fill whatever void their target individual has. So they can pretend to be the perfect boyfriend. They can pretend to be the perfect father figure. They can pretend to be the perfect friend. Anyone that this person lacks and that they know desires very greatly. So with that, when they are playing out that persona, when they are increasingly gaining influence on that person's life, they're becoming very close to that individual and they are honestly gaining a lot of power over them. So yes, they're building trust, but it is completely one-sided and it is only with the end goal of being able to turn it around and use it for exploitation and manipulation later. So in the case of the Romeo pimp, victims a lot of times on the surface live a normal life. So they are still in school. They're still in their homes. They are still on social media. They look like nothing has changed. Maybe they act a little funny, but they don't appear to be in danger because they're right in front of you. Um, but really that is because the trafficker is trying to erase all signs that would look like something's wrong and ultimately lead back to him and cause him distress or cause him to get in trouble, implicated, any of that. So the way that would work is a victim would go to school, um, come home from school, eat dinner with the family, friends, anything like that. Like we said, the normal life aspect. And then when everyone was asleep, um, the trafficker in a lot of cases, there are several cases of this, um, would pick the victim up and then sell them throughout the night and then bring them back in time before school started so nobody would know that they were gone and there would be no cause for alarm. So that's where it comes into, okay, why are they falling asleep in class? Because they were up all night being exploited. Why are they missing school? Because they're probably exhausted in bed and their parents made them stay home or their trafficker is not letting them go to school. That is so wild. I I was definitely aware that the gorilla pimp was a thing, but I had no idea that the Romeo side was a thing. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't realize that either. So did you say that the Romeo is actually more common? That is definitely on the rise. And that is what we're seeing more and more frequently because it is oh, okay. the, less, the less alarming. It's the easiest to hide in plain sight. Um, and so, yes, and that's what we see most, most frequently in the cases of social media causing someone to be exploited because most times relationships are the relationships of a trafficker and his victim are going to begin through social media contact. That is so wild. And I guess that's why it's in the light more now because of social media. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Can you talk about some of the clues that sex traffickers might leave when they're around somewhere because as a woman I see posts on social media all the time about don't go to this place because I was left with a pamphlet on my windshield and different things like that. Yes that's a great a great question. I have seen a lot of those posts as well um, also being a woman on social media. Yes. And I'm sure you've seen the ones of people's cars who have been zip tied together or something yeah, like the yes, duct something tape, that kind of stuff filled on the yes. hood of their car yeah so basically the goal of that that would be the case of a gorilla pimp because they are trying to physically remove you or kidnap you from that situation so the goal being when you try to undo that zip tie when you try to get the thing off your car they are able to grab you as you're distracted um the unfortunate thing is there are a lot of 
a lot of warning signs that are not able to be seen until you are cert a certain amount in depth or at risk of being trafficked. So, you know, maybe that first direct message, that first um, stranger contact that you have with an individual, you probably are not going to be able to suspect, okay, this person is a trafficker, this person has identified me as a target. But you have to always be on your guard and look for the red flags. So are they trying to gain control in your life? Are they trying to isolate you from the people that they feel care about you? Are they trying to ease you away from everything you know and put you into this world that is entirely, entirely supportive of their lifestyle? So it's very common for traffickers to, in a way of manipulation and in a way of careful, careful um, conversation, take a victim or convince a victim to sort of sever all ties and burn all bridges so that then they are stuck in the trafficker's realm where they are only around friends and peers of the trafficker that enforce this lifestyle and make it harder for the victim to get out because all of their contacts then are in that world. Um, so you really just have to practice, practice, practice safe social media habits. I recommend that everyone's accounts are private. Do not accept requests from people you do not know. Do not return messages that you have a bad gut feeling about or strangers that you just do not know, do not trust. Um, but if you're in a public situation and you're in the instance of a zip tie being on your car or something spilled, something left where you feel like you have a gut feeling, somebody is waiting for you to react to that obstacle, um, I, my recommendation is to immediately go back inside to where you were coming from before you went back to your car, get one of the employees, tell them what's going on, um, call 911, call someone, ask for advice on what to do, because likely they are going to know more about what to do than someone in the store. Um, and just really assess the situation, get out of whatever the dangerous situation is, do not stay by your car, do not stay where you feel like somebody is approaching you and is a threat to you. Um, of course, the buddy system is always helpful, but I know that is, as a woman, I know that is incredibly limiting to always have to have sort of a chaperone around, but just buddy system and really trying to be with someone instead of alone at your car. Yeah, one of my friends was just talking about how now sex traffickers will hack into people's Instagram accounts and then direct message all of their followers and send them a link that says, hey, I just made this survey, please fill it out. And so if you click on the survey and fill it out, it gives the hacker your location. And that is so scary and so crazy to think that that's the reality now. Absolutely, yes. I I remember when those were going around in my community and it was, you know, it was mainly targeted from what we could see. Um, it was being sent predominantly to young women. And so that was one of the red flags, like, okay, this might be tied to human trafficking. Um, because there are boy and boy, boy and girl victims, but we, again, are seeing a predominance in female victims. But that's just because that's what most data supports. Um, I mentioned earlier that 99% of buyers are male. And that is the same statistic for girl and boy victims, but it's harder to find information on boy victims because they are, when they escape sex trafficking, however they did so, whether it was law enforcement intervened or they were able to get out on their own, they are dealing with sort of double the stigma. So not only were they sexually abused, not only were they in this underground world that a lot of people don't want to talk about, they were predominantly being purchased by men, and so they have to deal with the societal repercussions of being a victim of sexual abuse and being gay, whether they are or not. Um, so when those lists came out, it was just a reminder to everyone, you know, really, really be careful about what you open, what you accept. If you ever feel like something is suspicious or it's out of character for that person to send you a survey or 
look at a picture. I know there's stuff going around right now about, hey, did you see this picture? And it ends up being a, a hacker link. Um, I would say just text that person directly and say, just want to double check, you know, I got this inbox or I got this message on whatever platform you're on. Did you really send this? Are you hacked? Just want to talk about this. Um, because it's just a really simple way to avoid a bad situation. Yeah, are there other precautions that people can make, like carrying around pepper spray, or what do you recommend? That is always a good idea. Always a good idea to have pepper spray on hand or some sort of self-defense measure um, if you wanted to take a self-defense course. I've heard amazing, amazing things about those. Just being able to protect yourself, but not only physically. Um, I think there's a lot of a lot of importance in being able to defend yourself in a situation where you are face-to-face -face with that person um, and where you are physically threatened. But there is so much importance as well on having information mentally that will keep you safe. So that's part of the main, main goal of my presentation and hopefully the curriculum initiative that we're working with right now is giving people the information directly so that they know what to look for and they're not getting trapped in something they didn't even know existed until it's too late to get out because they did not know the warning signs. They did not know how to intervene. They did not know who to talk to when it was happening. So really familiarize yourself with the signs. What does it look like when you're being trafficked? What does it look like when you're being targeted? Um, reaching out, being a steady source of support for the people around you. A lot of times these victims, they cling so close to their abusers because that's the only people in their life who are offering them love and support or what they believe to be love and support. And so if you give them another source of that, if you are a steady, dependable person, that is just another way that they are stronger against someone who would take advantage of the lack of that person. Um, so it really just comes down to being prepared to protect yourself mentally and physically, and not only yourself, but the people around you, spreading the signs, having conversations about it that educate each other, um, looking out for each other. If you notice a red flag, if you notice someone beginning a relationship that you are concerned about, speak up, share your concerns, talk about this, talk about the risks, because so much of that is is really underrated, just having the conversation and being open with each other and what that can prevent. It's it's amazing. Yes, and I also wanted to mention that there's this new movement called the End It Movement. And on February 27th, me and yes. my friends were all going to put like a red X on our hand and post it to social media saying hashtag End It Movement. So are you involved with that at all or what do you know about it? Yes, I, I'm so glad to hear that y'all are doing that. Um, any... Any organization, there are a ton of organizations that are dedicated to fighting sex trafficking, and usually they focus on different sides of it. So there are people who focus on getting resources for victims, focus on building stronger legislation for victims, or harshening laws against the abusers. Um, I have not personally done any work with the Indit movement, mm -hmm. um, but I totally am 100% in support of their cause, and I love every year seeing the red X's on people's hands that they post. I will definitely be posting a red X hand picture um, when the time comes. And I am familiar with their work and I know that they have grown, grown, grown over the years. And it is so amazing to see other movements thrive because really no matter what your focus is, like I said, if you're focusing on legislation or, or harsher punishments or resources or anything like that, when one of these movements move forward, really all of them benefit because the topic and the cause is getting attention and it's reminding everyone that this is not, even though it's underground, it's not out of mind, it's not out of sight, it is totally, totally prevalent. And so it just kind of reminds everyone, yes, this exists and yes, it's your responsibility to do something to stop it. So, yes. Yes, and you mentioned legislation there briefly. Can you talk about maybe what's in place right now to protect people who are victims or what is in place to punish the perpetrators of sex trafficking? Right, absolutely. So right now it's a little 
there is some controversy um, between different states regarding laws against and the sort of definition of what is and what is not classified as sex trafficking. Um, because obviously different states have different laws within themselves because we are the United States. Um, so basically, in the main, main divide right now that I would see is prostitution versus sex trafficking. So prostitution is really like the more legal side of it, the more, the more, um, that person's individual choice and sort of like the sex workers, right. That sex work is still work. Um, that has caused a little bit of issue because if, the whole thing right now going on in the United States and several states is should sex work be legalized? So the main controversy with that right now is the world of sex trafficking and sex trafficking advocates like myself have been sort of divided on yes or no, should it be legalized? Because a lot of ways that victims ever get out of the trade, that they are ever rescued is because prostitution is illegal in a lot of states. So when they are caught being exploited and originally conceived as a prostitute, they are able to be in an environment where they are away from their traffickers and where they are in front of law enforcement that, if trained properly and if attentive enough, are able to pick up on whether or not they are a victim of human trafficking or whether they um, were a sex worker who was consensually participating in this. And so if sex work is legalized, it sort of takes away that protection, that very, very limited protection that victims have. And so if prostitution and if sex work is legalized, then that's one less way traffickers are able to be caught. And that's one less way that victims are ever likely to escape. So right now it is, depending on where you are a victim, it is higher or lesser odds that you're rescued depending on if prostitution is legalized or not um, and depending on how law enforcement might intervene. So another thing is we talked about earlier how these victims are heavily, heavily, heavily mentally manipulated a lot of times and they feel like they have to obey their traffickers. They have to stay with them. They don't have a way out. They deserve everything that's happening to them. So if prostitution, another way, if it is legalized, and even if that person is arrested um, and, a, and the law enforcement suspect that they are being trafficked, that it is not a case of prostitution or consensual prostitution, I, could, I should say, then the victim is very likely, because their trafficker has pressure them, put a lot of fear in them to respond that way, can very easily just say, oh, well, it was consensual. Like, I decided this. I'm not being trafficked. And, you know, there's only so far you can investigate something when the person you're trying to save is adamant that it was consensual because there is someone on the other side pressuring them, forcing them to say that. Um, that being said, the United States has some really, really amazing initiatives and protections for victims of sex trafficking who are rescued. We have plenty of shelter. Well, not plenty. We could definitely use more, but we do have a good number of shelters, resources for victims so they can stay there and they are safe from their trafficker. They can get education. So we talked about these people often being school age, whether they were taken out of school or not taken in, out of school, they have opportunities to get that education that they missed or that they were not able to thrive in so that they can sort of make a standing for themselves. Um, protection from law enforcement sometimes. Um, it really depends. I will say within Georgia, we are of among few states where we are sort of a protective state for victims. I think we're called a safe haven state where under a certain age, even if you are caught 
or determined to have been consensually prostituted, anything like that, you are automatically considered a victim of human trafficking and you are given access to all of those resources. So I'm incredibly proud that Georgia has that going on, that you right away, if you're suspected to be a victim, you are just totally protected, totally given the resources you need, and hopefully you are able to be separated from your trafficker enough that you don't fall back into it. But it is really dependent from state to state. Yes, and it sounds like the legislation part is very tricky to navigate. Yes, it definitely is. Yeah, I also wanted to ask, um, frequently you hear headlines about how like major pornography corporations are involved in the trades, such as Pornhub. So is this true? Do you, what do you know about these kinds of allegations? Kinsey, you have hit my you have hit my soft spot. I absolutely in every presentation I give, you can ask anyone who's sat in on my presentations. I dedicate a hunk of time to discussing pornography and its link to sex trafficking. I'm glad I hit it then. I am so glad you hit it, Kinsey. Uh, <laughs> I, I just like could go on and on about this forever. Um, it is no secret that we live in a society where porn is completely normalized. It is like some sort of big thumbs up. This is socially okay. And it is so 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 easy to access I mean you could probably pull up porn in like less than a minute if you wanted to Mm -hmm. the catch of that is with it being so easy to access and with it being so like normal socially accepted that it is conceived in today's society people forget that you don't know what's going on in the other side of that screen. Yes, you have a scene in front of you, you have two people or however many people that you're looking at, but you don't know the circumstances surrounding it. So like you said, there are headlines coming out. Um, There are people who are being caught and victims who are coming forward and saying that porn was one of the ways they were abused and one of the ways they were exploited. Um, So really, What I try and emphasize in my presentations is we establish, you know, the life that victims live once they're trapped in this trade. They are physically threatened. They are beaten. They are forced to take drugs so that they have their systems weakened. They can't fight back or they go through withdrawal every time they try to. And so they're forced to keep performing to get what they depend on. And it's not just them. Oftentimes their families are threatened everyone they love is at risk if they do not perform or if they do not perform, they don't get food. They don't get clothing. They don't get shelter. They don't get basic necessities that we take for granted. So in the case of pornography, when a victim is put in that setting and they are forced to perform in that setting, they're going to perform because they know that if they don't, They won't get that food or their father won't come home from work or their little sister will be taken. And so I really try, I really try to have this conversation a lot and I'm very open about this. I've actually talked to a few of my peers about, you know, why, you know, what makes them think that the porn that they're watching was consensually filmed, that there was no abuse or no exploitation taking place within that filming. And the two most popular responses I've gotten um, was one, they said that you can tell by the quality of the video whether or not it was consensually made or whether there was anything sketchy going on. And the second reason was that sometimes after videos, there will be a Q&A afterwards with the people within the film. Um, which I just think is so ridiculous, but (laughs) I guess that's a rant for another time. Basically, the things I have to say to that, those two most common reasons, because I do talk a lot with my, like, with my peers and my friends about, you know, like, what makes 
this and this and this. So, and we talked earlier in this podcast about Jeffrey Epstein, the owner of the Patriots football team, so many high profile people being linked to this. So to say that quality indicates consent or exploitation, there's just absolutely no validity in it. I mean, if you're having billionaires, if you're having friends with presidents, owner of major sports teams linked to this, you definitely have access to impressive sound equipment and good lighting. I mean, there's there's no way that you can prove consent based on the money put into it because so much of this trade is underground linked to wealth. And then the second reason with the Q&A part, yeah, there are 100% people who are in the porn industry who choose that life. And that is 100% their right. That is 100% their decision. And that is their personal choice that they make. And it is consensual that 100% exists within the porn industry. So I'm not going to, you know, sit here and say that every single every single piece of pornography was somehow the result of victimization and exploitation. There is consent within that. But when you talk about Q&As, if you put yourself in the position of a victim and you know that based on your answers, based on your performance within that filming period, you get to eat, you get to sleep, you get whatever drug you're dependent on, um, or your family lives, you live, you're not beaten that night. You can make it look like you wanted to be there. You wanted what was happening. If that's what's demanded of you, and if that's what's going to get you safe and the safety of your peers. So really you know, with pornography, there is just like, there's no way to tell if it is or if it is not consensual. And I try to really, really instill that in everyone who comes to my presentations. Just a reminder, you know, what you're watching, you could be watching a victim and you don't even know it. Yes, that is so wild to think about. Well, thank you so much for bringing that up because I'm glad we got to touch on that. I really try to talk about that as much as I can, if you can't tell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hadn't even really considered that. And the points you bring up are so valid. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about in this realm? I think we, I think we have covered it. Um, of course, you know, I have to... I have to shout out my nonprofit. Um, it is Traffic Talk. There's a K at the end of traffic. Yes, um, please go follow that on Instagram. What is the Instagram handle for that? Thank you so much. It is at Traffic Talk. So all one word, no fancy dashes or anything like that. Just plain and simple, cut and dry, Traffic Talk. Um, there's a K at the end of traffic. I think I mentioned that. But I would love for you all to follow it. Um, we have been getting a little bit of hate recently. Yes, that was so rough. <laughs> yes, Kinsey and I, Kinsey and I planned to do this talk, and then last night she witnessed the just total drama that ensued on the Traffic Talk Instagram because, well, you can see it; it's definitely there. Imagine being against human rights. <laughs> imagine imagine in your free time deciding that you want to bash an organization that's dedicated to saving people from being exploited and having their lives totally turned against them. Yeah, I don't understand. Like, the audacity that people get when they're behind a screen, like, online, it's just crazy. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know, but Kenzie, I'm glad you and I and most people are responsible with our words on social media and responsible with the power that comes with having an online presence. And I'm very grateful that in addition to the unfortunate 
and ill-informed, ill-conceived responses that were left on the account last night. I'm very grateful for all the support and love and just respect that was contributed outside of that and in response to that and in response to the mission in general. So just a huge, huge thank you to everyone who supports this account, to everyone who believes in the mission and is vocal about their belief in the mission. And just, Kinsey, I cannot thank you enough for having me on this (laughs) podcast. I'm so excited and I'm just amazed by this podcast. It's so incredible and I can't wait. I mean, yes, just thank you so much for having me on here. I'm so honored. This is my first ever podcast and I get to have it with you. Thank you. I mean, issues like these need to be highlighted everywhere. They need so much more awareness than they get beyond just headlines of who was involved. People need to know what victims face and who can be a victim and where it takes place. I mean, there's so many ins and outs that aren't highlighted enough. And I'm so grateful that you were available to come on and talk about this because it's so important that people know about it. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I would have totally made time if there was no time to be had to be on this podcast with you. Totally. Thank you so much. Do you have any like last advice or anything else you want to talk about before the end of the episode? I think I I think I covered everything. Just the most important thing is do not let this topic stay silent. Do not put this on someone else to speak about. Do not think that your conversation with whoever you run into is not going to make a difference because it is. Because every single time you have a conversation, you speak up, you you talk about sex trafficking or something you learned about sex trafficking or something you saw about sex trafficking, it can be so simple. That is bringing it to light. That is that is giving power to everyone who is trapped within it. And that is giving the person you're talking to the motivation and the tools to have a conversation of their own and really just start a ripple effect of people willing to talk about it, willing to fight for it. And that is that is how change is made. So never think that you are too small or, or your conversation is too small to mean anything in the long run. I totally agree. I mean, together... We can end this crisis and cruelty. Absolutely. If you liked what was said today, please share Bionic Chronicles with your friends. You can follow Bionic Chronicles on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Bionic Chronicles Podcast. Thank you for listening.